the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back in to the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. We're extremely pleased to be joined by Matt Prem of our Oregon 24-7 sports site, also of Outs and Audibles, awesome Oregon podcast available on all your podcast apps, and of course, as well on YouTube. We're starting something here. It's called our Around the Clock series with 24-7 sports, kind of like the name. We're going to put 15 minutes on the clock. We're going to get the inside scoop on all that team action that you want to know. We know we just kind of covered some of this in the spring gleaning series, but that was in the spring. Now we're in the summer. It's time for a little bit more deep dive. We're going to bring on the experts here. We're very lucky to be partnered with our sister site, 24-7 Sports, to be able to have these experts. And so, you know, Matt, glad to have you, man. Absolutely, bud. How's it going? Going well, going well. I just, I'm just i hoping this is going to go as well as, uh, as Chip Patterson. I think it will. And uh, we're excited to talk to you about the Ducks. So 15 minutes are on the clock now. All right, so Oregon coming off back-to-back really successful seasons under Coach Mario Cristobal. Recruiting is kind of unlike anybody else in the Pac-12 for the most part. What, what's the vibe right right now in, in Eugene? Yeah, from, from a recruiting standpoint, you're kind of in that golden age mentality uh, for Oregon football because they've never had this kind of success sustained over three or four years now that Cristobal is going at it. Um, you know, they've had – top 10 classes they've had, you know, the best class in conference history before or co- conference for the year, but they've never done it in succession, you know, year after year. And they're, they're, you know, they're going for uh, what is it? Like th- the third or fourth straight year um, of leading the conference and recruiting. They're currently there right now. They're first in the conference. Uh, and it, it's at a, a clip that we've never seen before under Mario Cristobal. So the expectations from a recruiting standpoint from the fan base where it's fair or not is kind of top 10. And, you know, I don't know how long Oregon can sustain that because they don't have a, a deep recruiting base in the state of Oregon, but Cristobal is going to try. And, it, you know, I'm not going to doubt him right now. As a head coach, uh, how have you seen him evolve? I, I, I know. And, and has he ever talked about this? I, I know on Barton and Bud, we used to discuss a little bit. Some of his game management was maybe not the best yeah. when he started out. There were a lot of sort of punts in opponent territory and a lot of let's run the ball on first and second down and ask your QB to bail you out on third and seven. But it seemed like last year he took a big step forward in, in game management uh, areas. Has he discussed that at all? Or what have you seen? He's not discussed it too much. I think that also comes with the trust in his offensive coordinator, um, Joe Moorhead. And it also – and that's going to be – a, a big topic for what we're going to be watching in the first couple of games and throughout the year this season, because for the time that he's been here at Oregon, uh, 
before last year and then the couple years even before he got here. Oregon's not really had a reliable kicker. So whenever it got to that, hey, it's fourth and three and you're at the 35 or the 37, you know, what, what do you do? And sometimes, you know, a lot of Duck fans got used to the Chip Kelly and the Mark Helfrich mantra of, hey, we're going to be ultra aggressive. We're, we're going to go for it. Uh, and that kind of bled over from an expectation standpoint for what Willie Taggart and for what now Mario Cristobal were doing. And they just they haven't had a kicker. And so there was they were kind of in that weird spot where it's like, we don't really know what to do. And Cristobal always went safe. And, you know, I, I've been against that in, in some of his decisions. Um, I, I do think his decision to run the ball against Stanford in 2018 when, when they fumbled, I think that was probably the right call, but it just didn't work out. You know, odds, how, how likely is a guy going to fumble like that? Um, but now that they have a kicker in Henry Callum and made a 52-yarder with ease in the spring game, um, that's going to be the question that, that happens this season is what happens when it's fourth and five at the 36, do, do they kick or do they punt? And if they punt, you know, that's going to be a, a, a big side of criticism for him is he's too safe. But I, I think with the new offensive coordinator and Joe Moorhead and better familiarity with what he wants and what the offense can do. And now having a kicker, we might see a little bit more of a risk, a risky uh, Mario Cristobal. So you, you want to start positive or negative here? Cause I, we, we mentioned, you know, pre-call and little show meeting, Let's set the expectation that most of the fan base, that the reasonable fans at least think another top 10 season is something that most reasonable fans, I, I think, have, have, have cited. I'm going to ask you two questions, so pick whichever one you want first. But sure. what if they don't get there, it's because of this, or if they exceed that, it's because of this? So the expectation in Eugene is they win their third straight league title. And... I think if they don't do that, it's probably because of a couple things. Anthony Brown at quarterback probably is not as uh, good as expected, and the freshmen are not up to speed to, to maybe take that job and to win at a high level. So quarterback play will probably be the, the biggest deterrent for them to not to get there. Uh, I would also argue you know, they were very bad against the run defensively up front from defensive line perspective. Uh, I don't know if very bad is the right – way to describe it, but they weren't nearly as good as they were the last couple of seasons. And that drop-off continues. Um, They've got some stud linebackers. They've got Kayvon Thibodeau off the edge, but up front in the middle of that D, what what do you have? And so I would argue that maybe doesn't materialize in the way that that you would anticipate it to. And then they're very thin at, at, at corner right now. And so the other hindrance could be they get hit with an injury or two injuries or maybe a, a, a Dante Manning um, or a DJ James or a Triquez Bridges. These are guys trying to fight for that second starting job opposite Mikhail Wright, who's an NFL player next year. One of those guys isn't as good as expected. So that's kind of where I would land. You know, they've got every starter back along the offensive line and, and from a positive standpoint, and they're adding two of the best players I've ever signed to that position to this recruiting class, uh, to this program now. So every starter's back and you're adding more talent into the mix. Your running backs are back. Your talent at receiver is maybe as stocked as it's ever been um, going into a season in five or six years. I'd argue since the, the year they, they played for the championship game against Ohio State. So if they do reach expectations, what has to go right? 
they probably hit at quarterback. And they're meaning, meaning Anthony Brown or meaning, meaning Ty Brown. Thompson. I think it's going to be Anthony Brown. I mean, he okay. he took every single rep in spring ball with the first team offense, and he was the most consistent guy. He doesn't have nearly the ceiling that a Ty Thompson, a Jay Butterfield, or a Robbie Ashford has, but his floor is significantly higher right now than all three of those guys. So, I mean, I, I, I like to describe it as like his peaks and valleys are, are very small, you know, and Ty's and Jay's and Robbie's are very deep. You, they, they can go really high or they, then they can make a, a couple plays where it's like, whoa, that was you're, – you're not there yet. Um, so I, I think this is going to be a team in which they hit on Anthony Brown and then defensively they're really good again against the run. They were, they were stout against the run in 2019 and 2018. And so it's, can you get back to that level of production? And if you do, you can lean on your defense to kind of win you these games and until the offense gets up to speed. So with, with Tyler Shuck, it it is Shuck, right? Yeah. When, when, when Tyler Shuck transferred out, a lot of us in the media who don't cover Oregon on a day-to-day basis were wondering, like, is, is he, I don't want to say scared of Ty Thompson, but is, is he seeing the writing on the wall with Ty Thompson? Or was that writing, it sounds like maybe from what, what you're telling me, maybe the writing on the wall was, was more written by Anthony Brown. I think and this kind of goes back to the safe mentality of Mario Cristobal. Um, one of the biggest things that w- wasn't covered from a, a national perspective, and I understand why it wouldn't be, but uh, during the COVID year of 2020 um, was – and, and even in Arizona State's perspective or Arizona's, they could practice in June. They could practice in July uh, with the team. Uh, in the state of Oregon, health restrictions prevented that from happening. So while some schools back east and the south, they were all training as a group at, you know, on campus and they were getting their weight training programs going on. Oregon's players, they were all spread out across the country and they couldn't practice together. They couldn't be in the facility. And so I think crystal ball in 2020 went with the safe pick at quarterback. Hey, Chuck's been here. He went through a couple spring practices. Anthony Brown wasn't even in part of the program at that time. Uh, this is a guy that knows kind of what crystal ball expects has been in the program for a couple of years. Let's roll with him and see what happens. And I think the, the, the mistake was not trying Anthony Brown sooner, see what you had there. Um, until the end of the year. And so why did Chuck leave? From what we were told, it was a case of, hey, you're in a quarterback battle. We we know you started all seven games, but you're in a quarterback battle. And it it might not have been just Ty Thompson's arrival. It might have been also, hey, Anthony Brown's going to have to step up as well. And and all three of you guys, or Jay Butterfield, you know, all all five quarterbacks are going to have to duke it out. And sounds like he maybe didn't want that. His confidence had been shot from how he ended the year and, you know, it was kind of one of those deals where it just felt like I'm going to have to win this job again. I, I lost my confidence and it's going to be you know different year. I, I just need a fresh start, go somewhere else where I, you know, fresh start. So that's kind of all what played into from what we've been told, Tyler Shuck's departure. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and certainly it may not have been Shuck's job if you had a real off season, right? Like it's not right. like you're losing jobs. Like you never had it. They had a true right. off season. All right, sticking on the offensive side of the ball here, wh- one of the stats that we pulled out in our spring gleaning series was Oregon was 113th in the country in terms of percentage of the passes that went to outside receivers. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I mean, like, like in, what do we have, 127 teams play last year because a couple opted out in, entirely. 
that's the you know, bottom 10% in the nation. But yet you, you feel, I know listening to odds and audibles, you feel really good about this receiver group, probably the best you felt in, in quite some time. Who are the dudes who could emerge on the outside and, and, and be like, all right, you got to feed these beasts. Yeah. And this is the reason why we're so optimistic at, at this position group is just the body types. They've not had this before uh, or this many of the six, three, six, four, six, five type guy. Um, I got, I, I said when they went to the Rose bowl and played Wisconsin in 2020, uh, if you looked at Oregon's receiving core that year and you would then look at an Alabama's or a Clemson's or an Ohio State's or LSU's, their receivers just looked different, physically different than what Oregon's was. You know, guys that are 6'3", 6'2", 6'4", 6'5", or Oregon was starting, you know, multiple guys in 2020 and 2019 that were 6'1", 6'5", 11", or even shorter than that. And now a big reason why we think that they're going to take that next step is they've started to accumulate some of those taller receiver guys. A couple of them are in the program. Devin Williams, the USC transfer. He had a huge spring. He's the only guy on the team last year who had two 100-yard performances uh, in games in 2020. He's expected to make a big leap, and Cristobal was really adamant uh, towards the end of the year last year of how much you know he's developed and, and grown in his game. And uh, Micah Pittman is a guy that, when he's on the field, is really good. Uh, the issue is, as a freshman in 2019, he had two different injuries that kept him out of half the year. And then in 2020, he missed half the year because of COVID-19 protocols, because of you know quarantining. And so, you know, when when he stays on the field, he's really good. So those are two names that are in the program. Um, Johnny Johnson's back. He's a really solid guy, but he's more like a, a really good two type receiver. Um, newcomers, Isaiah, uh, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, both guys had big plays in the spring oh, yeah. game. I think 40 yard catches each and they're, they're freshmen. And the expectation is that they're going to show up and I don't know if they're going to start, uh, but it's, it's going to be a year I think where we see each of these guys have games where it's nine catches for 118 yards and, and two touchdowns. Like it wouldn't blow me out of the water if each of those guys uh, does something like that in the season. Awesome. Uh, we can usually assume the offensive line is, is either good to damn good uh, under Mario Cristobal. Any reason for us to doubt this group this year? Um, I wonder, I mean, obviously there is no Panay Sewell on this team and that's a very high ask. Like that's a freak of a nature type of a player. Um, But there isn't that first round top 20 draft pick in my eyes uh, on this team. Um, I do wonder uh, how good can they be, uh, you know, in, in creating running lanes for their running backs. That was a big struggle for them this past season. Um, And, the, the players themselves, Alex Forsythe, the starting center, he was an all-conference player junior last year. He came out and was like, look, no excuses. We weren't good enough. But he also said that the team struggled to replace all five you know, starters from the 2019 team. And that's what they had to go through in 2020. So I, I look at this group and think there's probably a couple NFL guys on this team uh, along the offensive line. Um, but I don't know if, if they're going to have that talent to get to where they were in 2019, where pretty much everybody thought they were the first, second, or third best offensive line unit in the country. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Now, flipping the other side of the football, Andy Avalos did a really nice job, obviously, for Oregon for a couple of years there d- defensively. 
he goes and he's well, he took Boise, correct? Yeah. Uh, the, the the head coach now at Boise State. So they bring in defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter, who had been at Fresno and A and M and a couple other spots along the way. He typically has run a, a, a thirty four type defense, yeah. I, I believe. Um, it sounds like you're being kind of secretive there <laughs> in, in Oregon this year. Yeah, it is very secretive what they're running. Um, in the spring game, they they ran kind of a a two four five defense, um, and I, I think a, the big hot topic from defensively was a what is Tim DeRuiter going to be running uh, from a scheme standpoint, and then the second biggest question was where does Kevon Thibodeau fit in this group because the first day of spring ball when we were doing our zoom interviews, he comes out and goes, yeah, I love it. I'm outside linebacker. Here we go. I'm not on, you know, my, my hands not in the dirt anymore. And then about 20 minutes later, Cristobal gets on is whoa, 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 pump the brakes. He's still a D end. He's still going to be in his hand in the dirt. And then, then that story basically carried through over the next 14 spring practice availabilities that we got. Um, I, I look at Kayvon Thibodeau and he, he was listed as an outside linebacker in the official box score that the school provided from the spring game. But it's all about just how you dress up him and, and what, what kind of position is he playing? Same type of role. He, is he, he's an edge guy. He's going to be attacking the quarterback from the blind side. He's going to be solid against the run. Uh, and it's just, is his hand going to be in the dirt or is he going to be standing up? It's that's basically you're de- deploying him in two different ways, but the end result is still going to be the same thing for him. Uh, how everybody else fits. That's kind of a mystery right now. It, it, it sounds like it's a, it's a kind of a hybrid two, four, five, three, four defense. Um, and they've also got the capability and, and they've said they're going to do this. And when they play like a Stanford, who's you know, adamant about running the football, almost every down, they'll go more to like a four, two, five defense with four defensive linemen, and two linebackers in there uh, with their four, with their five DBs. So uh, it, it, I would call it a multiple set and we probably talked way too much X's and O's. <laughs> no, no. I, I think this is why we bring on those experts from 24 seven sports. I, I do have one question. Are you cool setting this thing into overtime? Well, let's put four sure. more minutes back on the clock. Sure. All right. So I look at this schedule in my, my, my brain, two more things you said I, w- I wanted to touch on. Number one, you said corner is a big mystery right now. This schedule through I would say mid-October is very friendly to breaking in corners, right? Like Arizona's passing game doesn't scare me. Ditto Cal, Stanford, Fresno, not really. But there is one team that just had a kid transfer out and he transferred at the receiver position and he transferred to Alabama, presumably to be a starter for the tide. And that's Ohio State. How in the world do they get like like is there any hope that they're ready for that matchup from a, a covering receivers perspective, given that Ohio State probably has the best receiving core in the country by a mile. Yeah. Yeah. It seems Um, tough. Playing Ohio state in Ohio state with a new quarterback, a new defense, at least one new corner is going to be tough. Um, This is a game from an Oregon perspective. They want this game to be turned into a neutral site game because it wasn't played in Eugene last year. Um, I I like Oregon's two starters, Michael Wright and DJ James. It's the question becomes, what do you have behind those two guys? Because you need probably four more to, to truly, you know, play at a high level defensively. Um, Jamal Hill's a nickelback, but he's not a, an, an, you know, a pure corner. Um, I, I do worry about Ohio State, but like you said, everybody else, 
uh, up until maybe that UCLA game, um, maybe the Stanford game, you look at this and think, yeah, it, it's set up for success for Oregon, you know, from a corner's perspective of breaking guys in and figuring guys out and what they can and can't do. Um, so, yeah, if, if they open the year and they're – their first five games or six games, they go five and one. I think that's probably a really good start to the year and kind of what's a fair expectation. I would agree. All right. Now, last, last one I have for you, staying on the defensive side of the ball, Thibodeau demands so much attention. If if they get it right, as far as I, I agree with you, the, the defensive line last year against the run was, was not optimal. They were uh, 90th in the country in defensive rushing su- uh, success rate allowed, it looks like, on, on the advanced stats page here. Who, who is the guy or two who step up along the defensive line alongside uh, t- you know, Thibodeau that, who make the impact against the run? Yeah, Brandon Dorless is the first one that comes up, a, a three-star guy from Florida. Um, he's played the last two years, and basically in 2020, his game got to the point where it was he has to start, he has to play. Um, and another guy, Christian Williams, towards the end of the year, uh, they started Christian Williams at defensive tackle over Jordan Scott, who was a four-year starter, you know, up until that end of the, the stretch run of the, of the 2020 season. So those are two names I would really kind of pencil in as, you know, guys that could make impacts. Um, Braden Swinson is a freshman. Uh, he, he got to play last year and was pretty, pretty impressive in the little amounts of time that we saw him. Um, and then Popo Amave and Keon Ware Hudson are two guys that, have played a ton of football over the last two and a half years of, of, you know, of Oregon's season and are guys that haven't been starters, but have have played significant roles off the bench and now are in that position where they could start. So it's kind of where I would look at things up front. And then you also have to factor in that Justin Flo is going to be healthy at linebacker and him and Sewell are (laughs) totally different body types than we've ever seen before at Oregon. So having Flo healthy will also help in that regard. Uh, this is the real benefit, of, and this is why you follow recruiting, right? And this is why, as a school, you recruit so well because you, you don't have to guess as far as who the replacements are quite as much. You, you, the expectation is now there that Oregon's going to have quality players be able to step up when important guys do leave. Matt, that's the end of overtime. Really appreciate you coming on here. Check out Oregon 24-7. Check out the Austin Audible's podcast on YouTube, on whatever podcast app you guys prefer. Really appreciate it. This has been Around the Clock, 24-7 Sports on the Coverture College Football Show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.